You are listening to the Reformand Initiative podcast, where we analyze and discuss Roman Catholic theology and practice from an evangelical perspective. My name is Clay Kennard. I'm sitting in the city center of Rome uh, with my brother and colleague, Reed Carr, the associate director of the Reformand Initiative. Reed, how are you doing? Clay, I'm doing well. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It has been a long time. It's been maybe six months since the last time we recorded an episode. Take a little uh, bit of a, a, a podcast sabbatical. Everybody's been super busy. Leo's been writing a book on Thomas Aquinas. So. That's right. Hopefully we'll have a few podcasts on that coming up, uh, either towards the end of this year. More likely it'll be after the first of the year near the time that the book will be um, printed and released and available for purchase. Uh, the book is going to be, uh, you, you can learn more about it on our website, uh, on the Vatican Files blog as well. Uh, but it is going to engage with um, how evangelicals should approach Thomas Aquinas, um, particularly looking at historically how Thomas has been appropriated uh, by Roman Catholicism, by the reformers, uh, and then even today in modern times. So it'll be a great resource. But um, yeah, it's been a, a busy six months. Reed's uh, working hard at his new church plant there in the neighborhood next to the Vatican. How's that going, Reed? Yeah, it's going, it's going great. Um, you know, slow, uh, and steady, um, certainly church plant projects here. I mean, it, it, it's the same everywhere, but, uh, here it just requires a really long-term vision, uh, patience. Uh, we just recognized, uh, new members this past Sunday, uh, a couple. Awesome. So that was a big praise. It's a really solid, uh, really solid couple, uh, uh who understands what it means to serve the church well. And, and uh, so we're we're thankful for that. Um, we'll be recognizing another member a week from t- yesterday, uh, an older lady. Um, so you know, uh, signs of encouragement here and there. We're praying for conversion growth, but um, as as everyone is, but uh, it's going well. So yeah, praise God. That's encouraging. Uh, Leo sends his greeting to everyone. He was unable to participate today in our podcast. Um, but it's really interesting that Reed decided to plant this church next to the Vatican, right in the the shadows of the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica there. And uh, I think it has a lot to do with the work you've been doing lately, Reed, uh, your research on some of the current events, probably one of the biggest topics of conversation taking place within modern day Roman Catholicism. And you figured that by planting a church there in the neighborhood next to it, you'd have a front row seat to... Uh, what is referred to is in Italian, uh, the synodalità, synodalità della chiesa, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, how do you say this in English? This synodality, synodality, uh, of Roman Catholicism. And so you presented on this at our Rome Scholars and Leaders Network back in June. Uh, very interesting, very intriguing, and there's been some new developments. And so we figured that we needed to spend an episode talking about the synodality, synodality, uh, of the church and what is happening within Roman Catholicism so that people are aware of what it means and why this is significant. Is that correct? Yeah. And you can just say the synodal church too. That's another way of calling it. It's much easier than referring to it as the synodality of the church, the synodal church. The synodal church. So exactly what does that mean? The synodal yeah. church? Well, <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there, but you are right. Um, it's important for our listeners to understand that uh, modern day Roman Catholicism, that is Roman Catholicism today, really cannot 
be understood apart from synodality and and looking at Roman Catholicism through synodal lenses. In fact, it's been said that this uh, that synodality is the kind of the new hermeneutic for understanding uh, the Roman Catholic Church of today. So, you know, it's the church that it wants to be. It's the church that it want, how it wants to present itself to the world, to its faithful. And, and so, uh, you, yeah, you, you can't think of Roman Catholicism without thinking of the synodal church. You go into any Roman Catholic bookstore today, certainly here in Rome, I would imagine worldwide, and you're just overwhelmed by the amount of books that there are on synodality. So it's something that's very significant and, and needs to be understood. And thankfully, the concept is quite simple to to grapple with. Uh, it's it's really it's really clear what the synodal church is. I mean, if we think about the word synodal or the synod, synod, I think if there's any any frame of reference whatsoever, it's more thinking about um, a, a kind of a meeting of of leaders in the Catholic Church, right? The the synod of bishops or the church synod, and that is an accurate understanding of the word. I mean. It comes from it comes from the Greek. I, I don't know how to pronounce the Greek word of it. It's similar to synod, but which means a gathering of church leaders to to discuss church matters. So that's the that's the traditional sense of what we are probably familiar with uh, when thinking about that word. Um, and that is that, and that is true. But there's another meaning to the word that is what should be applied to the synodal church and synodality and the synodal path. It's often and refer to, of course, a synodal path refers to some type of journey, um, uh, trying to reach some type of objective. And it's uh, and the meaning of the word is, yeah, like a, a common path, a journeying together. And and that's the that's the, the the meaning of the word that the church really wants to lean into is this uh, this journeying together um, and uh, a new way forward. And and. The reason for it is is also quite clear. Uh, as anyone listening would know, the Catholic Church uh, for decades and decades has been plagued by uh, sexual scandals, sexual abuses, uh, clerical abuse that has that has you know embarrassed the church, that has caused it to lose credibility, yeah, tarnish the reputation. Exactly, exactly. So they, they've lost the trust of, of many faithful, and we know that's the case. Many people have turned away from the church and uh, disgusted by its hypocrisy and and what they see and, uh, and yeah, lost faith in, in the church. So rightly so, the church wants to create, uh, correct that image and that reputation. And so synodality, the synodal path, the synodal church, however you want to call it, is a response to clerical abuse to um, sexual abuse in the church and and the the top down structure hierarchical structure of, of church power and power that has been abused um, hidden swept under the carpet uh, relocated whatever whatever you want to what you whatever you want to say so um, and that's what the the synodal path is trying to do and so what and this has been a, a project really of, of Pope Francis that he's been pushing since about well, officially since 2021, October 2021 is where the synodal path really uh, kicked off and got going. Um, you you spoke a little bit ago about recent developments. Uh, there was a a synodal a, 
a synodal meeting, more the traditional type of uh, meeting and the use of the word synod with bishops getting together to discuss where the church is in relation to its uh, synodal path. Uh, for people who are hoping that uh, a lot of new information was going to come out, at least people have been following the synodal path since its beginning. Uh, it was really kind of nothing new. It was just a repetition, a repeating of, of what everyone always already knew. And we'll get to that uh, in a bit. But again, yeah, this this synodal church is a a turning the hierarchy of the church on its head, in a sense. Okay. So the church shouldn't be seen as, you know, the Pope through the cardinals and the bishops and the priests uh, telling the church faithful uh, how they want the church to be. And then the, the, the role of the church faithful, the lay person, just basically in- implementing the desires of church leadership. Um, that's not really how the church wants to be uh, viewed anymore, because that that type of model led to these clerical abuses and abuse of power. So they want to turn that idea, that model uh, on its head and to where the it's the people, the people of God who are are casting the vision to the to the church leadership, to the pope, to the bishops, to the cardinals and telling them what they think the church should be. And so the church leadership basically being in service of the people of God and implementing what the people of God want the church to be. Now, that, of course, does not mean, you know, a total inversion of this hierarchical structure, whereas the people become the pope and and they're the ones who are speaking infallibly. uh, Nothing like that. Um, Of course, the pope still is the pope. He still is on the the seat of Peter. and so what he says in church official church matters when he speaks ex cathedra is still infallible according to Catholic church dog, uh, doctrine and dogma. But um, at least it's a symbolic uh, change of, of structure. It should be more seen as uh, if you think of a hierarchical a pyramid, right, where the pope's at the top, the people at the bottom. If you invert that, the people are at the top and the pope's at the bottom. Think more of it like a, a horizontal line where Everyone's kind of on the on the same playing field. Everyone's listening to each other. It's a, a reciprocal dialogue of discussion and 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 sharing of ideas about what the church should be, and and so seeing it on a on a level uh, a playing field, if that makes any sense. But uh, and and it draws its it draws its architectural structure, of course, from Vatican II. Uh, key documents in, in Vatican II, such as Lumen Gentium. Even back in the 60s, uh, they were already trying to symbolically restructure this, this kind of hierarchy, hierarchy, key, hierarchy, excuse me. And where, uh, for example, in Lumen Gentium, um, you, you actually see this, this uh, where the people of God kind of have a place of prominence in the document. And, uh, and so they're already thinking in that way, but, uh, the synodal, synodal church is a full implementation of, of that idea. Any, any questions so far or any clarification? Yeah. So, they, so you're saying they, they want to kind of not literally, but they want to flatten the, um, the leadership of the church, the, the decision-making of the church so that it involves, uh, even the laity and that they're included in the decisions that are, are being made by the leadership. Is that correct? 
Yeah, exactly. So this whole synodal path, okay, the synodal process that started in 2021 mm-hmm. has been a process of church leadership basically giving voice to the church faithful. So they organized initiatives all over the world and all continents where the church leadership in those places in the world would organize meetings or forums or even online things. Cause some of this was like still, surveys or something. Yeah. Surveys. I mean, but ways for the church people, the church faithful to participate and say what they would like to see the church be. Okay. So that's, that's been the last three years and, and gathering this information because we want to give voice to people. We don't want any longer this to be this a clerical abuse. It's just, we, you do what we tell you. Yeah. Um, it's you matter. Like you tell us, yeah. you tell us how you would like the church to be so that we can, we, we hear can you service. We hear you. We hear, yeah, we hear you. you. So my question is what exactly are those voices telling the church they want the church to be? Yeah. I mean, and before we get to that, one thing to, that's important to, to note here is if you think about who are the church faithful, mm. who are the church faithful? Well, sorry for the ambulance in the background. We are in the city I center of Rome. Oh, okay. Hear, so. It's just me. Good. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 um, I, how do you know a church faithful from a, another one? What is kind of like, if you had to put a, an identity marker on, on a, a, a Roman Catholic or a church faithful, what would that be? Yeah, it's someone that attends mass on a regular basis that is fully involved in the sacramental economy of the church. Um, so they're going to confession, they're doing their penitence, they're participating in in mass, they're receiving the Eucharist, they're doing their works of charity. That would be the faithful. But uh, I think that's gotten quite loose even, has it not? Yeah, yeah, it would even be more, much more basic than that. There's something... There's something that gives a Roman Catholic kind of initial dignity, which puts you into the church faithful, and that's baptism. Yeah, you've been baptized. So baptism is the requirement for participation in the synodal church. Okay. Now, as we well know, in Roman Catholic theology, uh, baptism is the washing away of original sin. Yeah. So now, of course, yeah, it was, of course, you will sin many times in your life, and that's why you need penance and confession so that you can continue to remove those sin. But it all begins with baptism. Uh, and, of course, that happens at a, at a very early age, usually. Not exclusively, of course, but uh, usually you're, in, you're baptized as an infant, small child, very early on in life. Now, what's not taken into consideration is what kind of life you've lived since then. Mm. That doesn't matter. It's just the baptism. When you're baptized, you 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 receive dignity through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Holy Spirit then is going to guide you along. The church is there to to administer sacraments and the graces and that. But thinking about thinking about your question of what were the people saying? Who are the people saying it? Is the church faithful? Who are the church faithful? It's those who have been baptized. Okay. So they they might not be actively going, participating in mass or the sacraments. They just affiliate with Roman Catholicism because they have been baptized by the church. Right. Exactly. So, of course, you would imagine in in today's world, today's culture, uh, especially in the West, uh, again, this was these these were things done all over the world. So, um, you know, parts of the world where this is not uh, uh, as prominent as in the West, but 
you have many people speaking into the church saying, we want a church that's much, that's the words that were used like radically inclusive. We want a church that is not judgmental. We want a church that's not a place for the perfect, but a place for the wounded. We want a church that does not judge. We want a church that accepts us as we are. So that, of course, <laughs> is not a surprise, for one thing. Sure. But it also raises a lot of questions. And, and these, were, these were honestly discussed in these synodal meetings. You know, church leaders saying, okay, well, what are we supposed to do about that? You know, so, um, we so want to... For, for example? What like, do you mean? Uh, like, what would be one of those particular items of discussion? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, well, the LGBTQ community... Mm-hmm. wants to for the church to recognize homosexual unions or any type of sexual union of course okay. there's many now um you know we just saw recently discussion about baptizing transgender people in the church where the pope saying that that could that could theoretically be okay okay uh, nothing was nothing definitive was def- designed defined or decided by the church but the conversation is there and and, and so you know church leadership saying, well, we, we don't approve of that as Roman Catholics, you know, historically that's not okay. So if that's what people are wanting, not exactly what do we do about that? Yeah. You know, this, this would also include, uh, potentially having female clergy or administer or permitting divorced couples to participate in the Eucharist, like things that have just been prohibited by the church for, well, for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think anything, everything's on the table. I mean, there, there was no, it was, there was no, as far as I could tell, really kind of boundaries or, I mean, if you you ask people what they want, they're going to tell you, you know, as then it's up to the, the church to decide. And this is where you see, this is where you see the, you know, and, and as, as we talk about often, uh, this kind of tug and war between the Roman aspect of Roman Catholicism and the and the Catholic aspect of it. The church, in this sense, you know, if you're uh, is is pulling very strongly to the the Catholic side, they, everyone is welcome. And one of their documents, they make reference to what is it, Isaiah fifty four two, where it talks about the enlarging of, of of the tent of God's people. And so that the idea is, how do we enlarge our tent? And that the answer so far has been through, okay, well, embracing radical inclusivity. Um, and so. But that would be the very Catholic just pulling and pulling and pulling against the tradition of the church where, you know, many people are like, well, we we got to pull back. Uh, of course, they don't articulate it in these terms, but it's it's very clearly at work. So we, we see this we see this at, at at work and it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of it in the end. Um, no, October 2023 was the last the conclusion of the last major phase of the synodal path. And they wrote a document, the bishops wrote a document. It really just restated all the questions that had been asked in the previous two years. And now for the next year until October, 2024, all these things will be discussed even more. And in theory, it concludes in October of 2024 with what, um, well, it's yet to be, it's yet to be seen. Um, how many, how much time, how long have we been in? Um, I don't know, 20 minutes, maybe. Okay. So, uh, you know, I think it's important. I mean, that, that's kind of a general gist. Does that does that give a, at least a helpful idea of what 
the yeah. Seattle path is what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it does. I think they're trying to to as you as you mentioned, overcome negative stereotypes based off of legitimate issues in the church, leadership, abuse scandals, et cetera. And in a increasingly um inclusive world, we we could say they're trying to demonstrate inclusivity, which you said is a perfect example of when they are uh, being very, very, very Catholic and maybe less Roman. So their their Roman aspects are being challenged right now. The rigidity, certain uh, doctrines and, and teachings that prevent uh, certain forms of inclusivity. Um, you, you said they're, they're, they've taken this information, they're evaluating it so that they can hopefully come up with a conclusive decision and communicate that maybe in the next year. My question would be, who is actually doing that, doing that work? It's the church leadership. Are they involving lady in that process? Do you, do we, do we even know? Yeah. I mean, it's church leadership at this point. Okay. So, so the, the voices was, are in, the voices yeah, are in yeah. and now the church leadership runs with that and they will start making decisions. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be some more dialogue uh, in the next year, but I mean, at the end, at the end, you know, you see this, I think Leonardo wrote an article recently about, you know, the synodal path talks about everyone being more on a, le- a level playing field. Right. Okay. And it's nice. It sounds nice and it is important, but in the end, I, I can't remember the exact wording. I have, you can, our listeners can go into the Reformant initiative blog and, and see it. I mean, the, the seat of Peter loses no power. I mean, right. it can't, it yeah, can't. It can. by I mean, we see a right. We see an example of this recently in Tyler, Texas, with a a more conservative American bishop that had put up some fuss, and the, and the Pope just kicked him out of his kicked him out of his uh, bishop office. I don't know exactly yeah. how to say that, but that's 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 him flex. That's not very synodal. You know? That's true. That's him flexing his petrine pecs, if you will, but yeah. doing what he can. I mean, that's he. So you know, that's that will be interesting to see how that element plays out as well, because in the end it's the hierarchy that it, it, the structure really doesn't change. Okay. And it can't, uh, I mean, how can it? Well, it makes sense why you said you go into any Roman Catholic bookstore and the majority of the books on display are going to be engaging with this topic because this is a very historic, uh, time in the history of Roman Catholicism. And there are a lot of, let's say traditional conservative Roman Catholics that have issue already with Pope Francis. And as we say, is being a very, 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 very Catholic Pope. Um, so I can understand why everyone's watching this. Um, perhaps maybe a small comparison would be the recent Southern Baptist convention um, gathering that was trying to decide what to do about Willow Creek. Right. Everyone's right. paying attention to that. So uh, this, this is, an even bigger playing field at a higher much visibility and yeah, has much larger significance for the Roman Catholic church. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, very interesting. So I think, I think, uh, to, to kind of move towards conclusion, I think it, it's helpful to give some, you know, as an as, as evangelicals, what are some things that we should point out and be yeah. wary of? And, and one thing just to kind of move into that uh, final part I want to read a quote from one of their working documents, one of the one of the documents that the synodal path produced uh, as they yeah, moved along this path. It says um, the world needs a church that goes forth 
that rejects the division between believer and non-believer, that looks at humanity and offers it more than a doctrine or a strategy. So, you know, it's just saying that out loud, you know, that rejects a division between believer and non-believer, not so much doctrine, but just kind of a, a welcoming place for everyone. Very, very much fratelli tutti, right? All brothers, yeah. which is Pope Francis's latest encyclical still. We're all brothers and sisters. So, you know, yeah. Are we all sheep? Are we all goats? Does it matter? You know, at this yeah. point, I think about the gospel, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess yeah, we're all good. I don't know which, how you want to put that. Yeah. We're all good. And I think, you know, so, I mean, a couple of things that uh, are, are concerning from an evangelical perspective. There's a lot, but if we just wanted to kind of narrow a few down, Pope Francis from the very beginning, and it's repeated incessantly in all the documents and everything that's said about synodality is that it's a, it's, it's being the, the Holy spirit is key in this. The Holy spirit is guiding us and leading us forward. The Holy spirit is guiding the synodal path. In other words, now there's a big problem with that from an evangelical perspective. And that is something that we point out regularly on the Reformanda initiative is that look at all of the synodal documents, everything that's been written on it. Um, and there's quite a bit and you will find, you'll have a very difficult time finding anything about sin, anything about sin, anything about the need to turn away from sin. Uh, and as we say often, if you don't talk about sin, there's really not any need to talk about repentance. There's no need to talk about the cross. There's no talking, you know, any of that stuff. And it's just as we, it's just that way. There, there is no talk of that stuff, which means the Holy Spirit, you know, operates within the bounds of Scripture. Holy Spirit's not going to lead outside of Scripture. So that raises two points. The first point is, as the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is brings conviction of sin. You know, it makes us aware of our sin and our need for a savior to save us from that sin and our put sorrow in our hearts, deep sorrow in our hearts for our sin and wanting to turn from it. Something that we can do only through the power of the, <laughs> of the real Holy Spirit right. in our lives. The second thing is, is that whereas an evangelical, as evangelicals, we understand that the Holy Spirit operates within in the parameters of scripture. In Roman Catholicism, that is not the case. The Holy Spirit has, as it as it leads the synodal path, it's, it's leading it into new it's, it's into new developments, to new territory, and it's not confined to Scripture. As as Roman Catholicism says, the Bible yes contains God's word, but is not limited to that. So uh, that's not an ultimate source of uh, authority. Things that do not have to be read through the lens of Scripture and judged on on that basis. So when it says that is being led by the Holy Spirit, it sounds nice. It sounds evangelical, but it is far, far from it because there is no talk of sin. It is not limited to the bounds, uh, to the parameters of Scripture, the, the Roman Catholic understanding of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you know, Baptism, if baptism is the sole means of, of identifying a Roman Catholic faithful, that's insufficient. You know, 
baptism is absolutely important in the Christian life. Uh, I mean, we know the theology behind that. We know what it symbolizes and represents death, death to our old self and life, new life in Christ. And, and it's a celebration of that, of course, and it, it's important. But um, especially in the uh, in the Roman Catholic understanding of baptism, which is this removal of sin that can happen and usually does as an infant, um, but there's no fruit at all in the life afterwards. And so if, if we all are just, we're all invited to this because of the dignity is the wording they use uh, that we receive in baptism, that's, that's insufficient. Um, baptism doesn't save us from our sins. Um, it's the, it's, it's not part of the, the solas of the reformation, if you will. So, you know, there's lots of things to be, to be concerned about from an evangelical perspective that we lead, look at and try to understand synodality. Um, and, and so we have to read it and look at it through the, through those lens. But again, to reemphasize and to reiterate what we said at the very beginning, synodality is extremely important. I, I, I had something written down. I can't find it right now, but I mean, the, the latest document that was written in October, just a couple, what, last month, uh, said that there it's impossible. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's impossible to speak of Roman Catholicism without speaking of synodality. So it's the two are one now. So we can't, we can't just hear synodality and throw it off as like, Oh, it's unimportant. Now, what, what, what will come of it uh, long-term, you know, who, who am I to, to say, but it's just, you know, because of, because of what's undergirding it, it just seems kind of a, a gimmick, you know, something that sounds nice, something that's trying to, um, give credibility back to the Roman Catholic church appeal to the church faithful. Um, but because of all the thing that, that all that's at work, the very flawed theological undergirding of a synodal, synodal church, the fact that really the hierarchical structure cannot change. That's just kind of smoke and mirrors, you know, um, and the Pope can, and the, and the bishops and the Cardinals can flex their muscles whenever they want to. Uh, as they already have at times, you know, um, we'll just see probably something that comes and goes, you know, in the, in the evangelical world, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, something that is comparable as just, you know, we always have these new methods, this new methodology, the new way of doing discipleship or the new way of doing this. It just comes and goes, you know, yeah. um, but, but we'll see, but that's, that's synodality in a nutshell. If people want to know more about it, go to synod, S Y N O D dot V A. That's the official um, website, uh, the Vatican's website for the Synod, and they have all the documents there. They always organize things and information very well. Everything's available. Um, but uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes of it in a year's time and, and where it goes from there. Yeah, thanks, Ray. We, we're grateful that you're following this for us and keeping us up to date on what's happening with the Synodal Church. Uh, you, you all can also go to the Reformanda Initiative website, reformandainitiative.org, and find articles that Reed has written uh, on this topic. You'll see Evangelical Reflections. I believe you have three articles where you share uh, your reflections on the synodality of the church. Your most recent article was after this general assembly that took place in October. Uh, and the title of that article is Synodality and Its Ambiguous Path. So, yeah, we appreciate your research and your work in this area. It's 
important and helpful for us to understand what's happening within Roman Catholicism uh, as evangelicals. It's something we must pay attention to because as we say often on this show, no matter where you go in the world, you're going to run into Roman Catholics and uh, there's a lot of confusion and um, in, in regards to what Roman Catholicism actually teaches. So that's why we're here. Uh, again, we want to thank all of our listeners for uh, their loyalty. Thanks for those of you who sent messages asking if we were okay. In the future, if we take a sabbatical, we'll announce it ahead of time. And we'll try to include even just a, a minute or two um, episode or podcast episode that will uh, let you all know that we're still here. So we hope you're still there. We hope you're still listening. And uh, once again, we we thank you for following us. Please share this podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. You'll find a contact form on the Reformanda Initiative website. You can follow us on social media on Facebook at Reformanda Initiative and on Twitter at Reformanda. Well, sorry, formerly Twitter on X at Reformanda Rome. So, uh, Reed, do you have anything else to add before we conclude? Nope. Yeah. Thanks to everyone. And uh, and uh, yeah, we're glad to be back and hopefully, you know, be more regular. Just all pastoring and Leo's writing and all that stuff. Lots of things demanding our time. Yes. Yep. Thanks, Reed. Well, that's it for now. So until next time from Rome, God bless.